Hi everyone, Duncan Fletcher here. Welcome back to another conversation as part of the PADS Athlete Development Summit podcast series. Today we're fortunate enough to have a conversation with Luke Fedlam. Luke is a non-agent sports attorney with Porter Wright. Luke established the Anomaly Sports Group in order to act as an educational resource to educate both professional and collegiate sports organizations and athletes in order to improve their player engagement and student-athlete development programming. Our objective today is to have a conversation around NIL, name, image, and likeness. The Anomaly Sports Group's approach to this is slightly different than most in that they're not focused in on improving the total number of likes and followers that you're getting. Their focus is on protecting the business and legal interests of the individual student-athlete so they don't find themselves in a compromising position either from a business, legal, or tax perspective. It's an interesting take on it. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Let's dive in. Hello, friends. The PADS Athlete Development Summit podcast series is extraordinarily fortunate to have Aura Health as a sponsor this year. Founded in 2013, Aura Health is the company behind the health tech wearable, the Aura Ring, which provides actionable insights on sleep and its impact on your overall health. It's used by top performers across a variety of industries, including the NBA, the WNBA, NASCAR, UFC, and more. And in fact, I've got one on my finger, which I had before Aura even thought about sponsoring pads. I can tell you one thing for sure. It's definitely helped me align my sleep, which was an absolute car wreck. The Aura Ring delivers personalized readiness and activity and sleep insights automatically to the Aura app, providing wearers with practical steps for long-term improvement. I can attest to that. The Aura Ring is not a medical device and is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, monitor, or prevent medical conditions or illnesses. For more information, I'd urge you to check out AuraRing.com. And on behalf of PADS, we thank you for your sponsorship of the PADS Athlete Development Summit podcast series. Hi, everybody. Duncan Fletcher here. I'm the Executive Director of PADS, and I'm here along with my colleague, Stephanie Thorburn. And we're very fortunate today to have on the phone with us, Luke Fedlam. Luke Welcome to the PADS 2021 Athlete Development Podcast Series. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Excited for this conversation. Yeah, we're uh, pumped to have you on the phone too. So let's dive right in. Uh, and before we get into what we really want to talk about, which is branding and name, image, and likeness, let's learn a little bit about you, your background. Tell us about your pathway through athletics and how that led you to where you are today doing the work that you're currently doing with the Anomaly Sports Group. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I could start off by spending uh, all this time telling you great stories of my high school um, athletic abilities, but those would just be, you know, just uh, extreme stories. So we'll, we'll go to college. I, I ran track at Wake Forest um, for a year. Um, just, you know, I was I was good, not great, um, but had the opportunity to, to experience things as a student athlete. Um, and uh, kind of fast forward after I graduated from Wake Forest, I went to work at an investment firm in Philadelphia. Um, got exposure into, you know, capital markets, personal financial management. Um, and from there was actually um, recruited to work at a sports management startup and work with professional athletes on the financial side um, of things. And really, that's what galvanized in me this desire to want to provide the education that's needed for um, athletes to not be taken advantage of and to set themselves up for success so they could have a positive impact on themselves, their families, their communities. And what I noticed in that financial world is what I cared more about was just this desire to protect. How can I protect? How can I, you know, protect them through education and beyond? And I'd always wanted to uh, to be a lawyer, and we brought lawyers in to help in different ways. And so decided to go on to law school and um, 
uh, you know, started working with professional athletes on the legal side. I, I'm currently a non-agent sports attorney. I lead the sports law practice at a large law firm. I'm a partner there uh, where we focus on kind of all of the off the court, off the field, outside of the sport endeavors of athletes. But it's that work um, that I do every day that really helped to inform kind of my desire to take those lessons, those one-on-one -on -one lessons with athletes and turn them into workshops and presentations so that we could have conversations at the college athletic department level, you know, various teams with groups of athletes, because so much, um, so much personal and professional development uh, of athletes. Um, I, I've noticed at the professional level that we work with anyway, that there are just such opportunities to, to further develop that. And so with the real world perspective that, uh, that we have of what we get to see every day, started Anomaly Sports Group a few years ago, specifically to do just that and to try to educate groups of athletes. That's fantastic. And obviously, the world of student athletes in particular is about to change dramatically. At least we anticipate it will here in the next few months. And I think one of the things you just mentioned is the idea of protecting athletes. And as this environment changes, there are going to be a lot of opportunities and pitfalls for student athletes as it relates to name, image, and likeness and the changes there. So from your perspective, I'm just curious, how are you guys viewing this shift in the student athlete landscape? And how are you approaching it, speaking broadly, in order to put athletes or student athletes in the best position to benefit? Yeah. So I just I just slid up in my chair. If we were in person, you could tell that I just kind of leaned into the camera a little bit because what you've asked is literally I mean, it's just exactly you know how I feel. I see this being a monumental shift in college sports for college student athletes, you know, dating back 70 years to when student athletes first started getting college um, athletic scholarships. What, what we're seeing now is what we're going to see when these rules go into effect here very, very soon is student athletes being able to earn compensation, right? Like if we take kind of all of the name, image, and likeness, the, the legal kind of side of things away from everything, it's the idea that a student athlete can earn money. And with that, we know that, um, you know, young people ages, you know, 18 to, you know, 17 or 18 to, to 22, you know, years old, there are going to be a lot of potential pitfalls and challenges that come with that. Um, everything from just not fully understanding um, what they're getting into and or signing. And I know we're going to get into some of this a little bit later or uh, being taken advantage of or being targets of people from their communities or beyond who want to take advantage and, and themselves make money off of student athletes. So we see this as a monumental shift. And, and to your second part of your question, the way we're really focusing on um, addressing it is through education. I mean, bottom line is education. And, you know, I think um, you know, we've done a lot of, we've seen a lot of kind of work in the college student athlete development space around things like financial literacy and just, you know, kind of understanding um, this, you know, the, the world around them and preparation for when they're, when those student athletes are leaving school. Uh, but this kind of requires things to kind of go on steroids and become very much more a, um, a real world perspective on the challenges that come with earning money um, because it's no longer just how do you manage a few hundred dollars or maybe even a thousand dollars of a stipend you know that you have that's that's left over at the end of the month it's much more the opportunity of advisors who are going to come and want to work with you understanding the contracts that you're signing the decisions that you're going to have to make I mean understanding the business side of financial management beyond just financial literacy so 
you know, to your point, I don't know how long we got today, but we have a lot to talk about because there's a lot that needs to happen. We do. And I think, you know what, let's just kind of dive into both the good and the bad. And I think uh, maybe the easiest way or, or maybe not the easiest way, but let's, let's maybe get into the ugly side of this first. And I think there are obviously some positives, but I think very clearly, as you said, there are going to be some pitfalls. Really, when you look at what's happening, what are you the most concerned about as it relates to how this is going to impact student athletes? Like, what are like the two or three things that you think are going to be legitimate problems that student athletes and the institutions that work with them are going to have to manage? Yeah, absolutely. Um, number one, I think it's going to be uh, student athletes who get taken advantage of by others, by outside third parties, period, point blank. I see that as the number one challenge. I see that at the pro level every day. Like the reason, so I formed Anomaly about four or five years ago. This was before name, image, and likeness and everything, literally to take kind of life skills development to student athletes from a practical real world perspective. But clearly when we saw name, image, and likeness coming back in 2019 in California past 206, there was a very clear moment for me that said, this is about to be real. And student athletes are going to be taken advantage of by outside advisors because we see it at the pro level. Whenever there's money involved, there are going to be people who want to come in. So what does that mean? What does that mean be taken advantage of? It's things like signing student athletes to, let's say, marketing agent agreements or marketing representation agreements for a number of years, right? I mean, I think we could all look, if, if you were to go back into the Zion Williamson lawsuit, if you know it's all public information, if you looked at the agreement that he originally signed, it was an agreement that had him locked in for a minimum of five years with that advisor and then could only terminate upon, um, if there was uh, uh, for cause, he could terminate for cause. Well, that's a high standard. So when you think about that, most student athletes aren't going to think about the, the term of an agreement that I'm signing with somebody. They're going to think, I want to work with them. They promised me they're going to get me in front of these brands or these, these different companies. So my biggest concern is that th this idea of student athletes being taken advantage of. I mean, term and termination is obviously a critical component. You know, student athletes understanding what they're paying to these advisors, advisors that are promising them things. I mean, to me, I, and I think that's always been a concern for student athletes, just period, right? The kind of what goes on behind the scenes. But but now when someone comes to a student athlete and says, hey, listen, I can get you in front of all these companies, just sign this. The, the student athlete nine times out of 10 is just going to say, I want to do that. So yeah, let's sign. Let's go. Let's get this party started. Um, the second thing I think that, that concerns me is, that, that really concerns me quite a bit is, is a student athlete not knowing what they're getting into, not knowing what they're giving up, not knowing or understanding um, the contract that they're signing. Uh, so what does that mean? So, okay. Uh, I was told I have to do four social media posts. Um, you know, let's call them uh, TikToks. Right, I got to do four TikToks for this particular brand over this period of time. Um, and so if I know that that's all I have to do, okay, I've signed up to do it. I know what I'm going to get paid but I didn't pay attention to the fact of who has the rights to approve the content that I've created. Does that actually, instead of me just going in front of my phone and spending 60 seconds making a recording, now am I spending hours having to you know, edit and revise to get the brand or the company what it is that they're looking for? That's just kind of a, a broad example, but you can take that example and translate it to a lot of different areas. It, the bottom line is the challenge of student athletes not understanding what it is that they're actually agreeing to, what they're giving up. I've seen so many situations where athletes will agree to do an appearance or agree to show up somewhere, sign autographs, make um, some remarks, what have you. Uh, and then what happens is 
you know, they say they get paid for that appearance, but then the company or the brand takes all these pictures and all this kind of stuff. And then in the language further on in the contract, it says that they own the rights to all of those images that they've taken. And so now they use that for free publicity, right? And marketing of, hey, we had this, you know, it's almost a, a appears to be an endorsement when the person just got paid for an appearance. It's that understanding of, of what it is that they're giving up. And the last thing, and then I'm going to pause here and catch my breath. The last thing that I would say that really keeps me up at night is the financial impact, right? It's the financial impact of not fully understanding um, the implication of taxes, not fully understanding the implication um, with financial aid, um, and not really understanding how do I manage this money that I'm now receiving. So thinking about it, a student athlete having to explain to them what it means to get paid in gross, right? What it means to get paid a full lump sum. If they say they're going to pay you $10,000, you're going to get paid $10,000. But now thinking about it, okay, if I have a marketing advisor or agent that has now found that deal for me and they take 20%, I got to make sure I plan for that. I got to plan for the taxes component, which could be, you know, depending on what their you know total earnings are, could be 20, 30%, what have you. Um, planning for that, setting that aside, right? So telling a student athlete now, hey, yes, this money came in, but this is not the money that you can now just go spend and do do whatever with. And so those things all um, are the biggest challenges that I have. But I think as it relates to your audience as well, the challenge with all three of those scenarios is the fact that no one who's listening to this podcast, this conversation right now wants to see student athletes get taken advantage of. And nobody wants to see that the school's branding hurt from their student athletes taking on opportunities as well, right? So that's this tightrope of walking of saying, yes, we want our student athletes to be able to go out and commercialize, monetize their name, image, and likeness. But at the same time, we don't want them to get taken advantage of and we don't want it to reflect poorly on the school. And all three of those areas have that risk for damaging both. There's a lot going on there. And, and that's, a, it's a, it's like you said, it's a fascinating tightrope that we're going to see walk. And I guess the question that kind of jumps to my mind is that obviously as an individual student athlete, why well, there's a lot of different things that you're going to have to keep in check. You're going to have to be aware of. And like you said, you're going to have to have the knowledge on it in order to be effective or have good, solid representation on the flip side of the fence. What are you seeing from the organizational perspective in terms of how they're reacting to these changes and how are they viewing the student athletes? Are they viewing them? As a, as, are they viewing this as a positive? They viewing it as a threat. Are how are they? Are they viewing this as as amazing uh, as an amazing opportunity to kind of leverage their brand through a range of other channels? I'm just curious, what are you seeing from the organizational side? And 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 just to be clear, the organizational side of the schools, the institutions themselves. Correct. Yeah, I, I think it's it really is a mixture. Um, it, it, the the challenge is how this all has played out really over the last, call it 10 months or so, right? This idea of initially there was going to be a plan where the, the working group put together and said, these are the recommendations, this is what it should look like. And then that all kind of just came to a halt back in January and states deciding to do what states are going to do. I think the biggest commonality in the conversations that I've had specifically about where we are today is just confusion about understanding how do we manage what what like who, who we're ultimately responsible to um, and how do we make sure we protect our student athletes through this, right? If you look at this, if you look at state laws, the different states that have passed laws that will go into effect in July and those who, 
whose laws will go into effect in the future, there are nuances within each of those state laws that have various requirements uh, upon the student athlete or upon the institution. So that's a challenge in and of itself. But beyond that, I think if we if we take it more broadly, I think it's what what we talked about earlier, which is this idea of we want to be able to see student athletes succeed. Yes, it does give the opportunity for the institution to ex- extend their brand in different ways just by their student athletes doing different um, name, image, and likeness opportunities, even though they're not going to be able to promote the brand of the school just in and of themselves, their name, et cetera, will, will bring uh, additional attention, um, you know, impressions, if you will, to the school. And that's a good thing. But it's not a good thing if student athletes are taken advantage of. It's not a good thing if student athletes aren't able to effectively navigate name, image, and likeness. And I've, I've talked about things like finance, contracts, and, and, and those kind of things. But what about the pressure, right? What about the pressure also on student athletes where we know that college sports, there's already pressure that comes with being a student as well as being an athlete uh, and, and just the pressure, the mental wellness pressure on student athletes to now feel like I have to engage in name, image, and likeness because some of my teammates are, or I have to because people at home need me to perform and do things in name, image, and likeness because that could be a meal ticket for them to help them get get through whatever they're going through right now, right? There's there this adds another layer of pressure. And I think that um that that student athlete development professionals are in tune with that. Um, and so managing that I think is going to be a challenge. But I think, you know, broadly to your question, it's a lot of um it's a challenging time to figure out what do we do and what's the oversight, right? Who ultimately has oversight? And, you know, beyond our compliance and and whatnot. So you know, again, it, it, I think there's a lot of challenge that comes there. And I think that, that um, you know, student athlete development professionals are feeling it. Luke, you said two words that really stuck out. One was confusion and, and the other is layers. And, um, you know, there is a lot of confusion that's going on currently from the administrators, the coaches, the student athletes. Our audience is comprised of individuals, both in the collegiate and professional space. And I think up until the last few years, a lot of focus has been around the word player branding, which definitely ties into name, image, and likeness. And so if you can first, um, to help ease some of the confusion, explain to those individuals kind of player branding the 30,000 level, why it's important for them as athlete development specialists to have a sense of what is player branding and then how that filters into name, image, and likeness. And then I have another, a second part of that, which is um, following up on, on your word layers. Yeah. So from a 30,000 foot level, um, just kind of thinking about player branding, that is that is really everything when it comes to this idea of name, image, and likeness, but also when it comes to athletes in their their place in society, if you will, right? Player branding is how the community, how um, teams, how coaching staff, how fans, um, how companies who want to potentially engage in um, sports marketing, that's how, they, that's how they see a player. It's through their brand. And so this idea of player branding to the athletes themselves is critically important. And, it, and, and at the college level, and at the early pro level as well, the challenge oftentimes is for athletes themselves to understand what is my brand, 
and what what who who am I to the world, right? What do I want the world? How do I want the world around me? These various stakeholder groups that we've talked about. How do I want them to receive me? And so this this idea of brand development, an athlete's brand development, is it's really important to understand. Um, because that's how student athletes and professional athletes, that's how they see themselves making money, right? And at the pro level, how they see themselves making money outside of their sport. At the college level, um, that's how they see themselves potentially taking an opportunity to make some money while they're in school. And if we think about it from the college level, in terms of how important it is, we know the statistics, right? We know that less than 2% of college student athletes are going to go on and play professionally. And so if you think about it while they're in school, their ability to develop their brand, their ability to find ways to monetize or commercialize their brand, that's how they can potentially make money before they are done with sports and, and go on to either grad school or enter the working world because they may not have the ability to go and play professionally. We know, and, and I don't want to get too too deep into the statistics here, but it's interesting also because while we know that only 2% or less than 2% of college student athletes go on to play professionally, uh, over 50% think that they have a chance at playing professionally. And so if if branding is a way, if if athlete branding is a way to educate student athletes on things like marketing, digital storytelling, business, business finance, entrepreneurship, et cetera, then what a great opportunity. Um, but I think in, in its entirety, you know, looking at, at branding and athlete branding, it really is being able to have a clearly articulable and well-defined story around who an individual athlete is. And that's what athletes at the college and the pro level uh, are going to be focused on as they look to monetize their brand. Thank you. And the other thing that stuck out is you said layers. And I just, when you said layers, what came to mind was an onion and an onion has a lot of layers and you continue to peel and you see there's more. Um, I know that this time that we're going through right now in college athletics is the time of the unknown. Yeah, I think, um, you know, there are a lot of layers to this. And and what's interesting is remembering as well, especially at the student athlete level, is that you have some people who are coming into this upcoming academic year as their last academic year, right? So this is their time, this this next, you know, academic year, this is their time to potentially earn money from name, image and likeness. And so their perspective may be different than the freshmen that are coming in that have time to evolve into uh, figuring out what name, image, and likeness looks like to them. But that's that's kind of the the point, right? That's the bottom line here is that methodically um, thinking about how to engage in name, image, and likeness, it, there's a lot of the, the same steps that need to be taken. First and foremost is figuring out kind of if I want to engage, right? If the student athlete themselves wants to engage in, engage in name, image, and likeness at all. And if so, then how, right? And and that's, that's the that first step is just, you know, there's a lot of times there's a lot of conversation of, of people who just think that all student athletes are going to want to. And I've had conversations with student athletes and not all have some of a lot of them are unsure. And I think sometimes that that uh, that unsurety is based on just not understanding kind of how this is all going to work and what it looks like. But I think there has to be a decision kind of making process that an athlete goes through to figure out if I want to get involved and if so, how. Um, and then from there, it's a matter of what what does that look like for me, right? And and this is where it comes down to it's so individually driven. It's not a one size fits all name, image, and likeness. Great, we're all going to go out and make money, and 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 everything's going to be you know 
all all great, right? It's this idea that some student athletes are going to have different types of opportunities. Um, some are going to have those blockbuster deals that will be reported on ESPN and other media partners, right? Um, that, that that's going to blow people's minds to hear. But then there are going to be a lot of student athletes that are going to do camps and do clinics and maybe want to start a business or um, you know to, to to sell a product or provide a service, right? And those are going to be things that that you're that you don't hear about every day, but they contain some of the same risks to the student athlete, right? Of either being taken advantage of or not understanding what they're agreeing or signing up for, um, and just understanding even the business side of, of of name, image, and likeness. So I think there's the gateway question first. If if we're looking at a model um, that could that could be beneficial, there's the gateway question first of do I want to engage in name, image, and likeness? And if so, for me personally, what does that look like or how? What, what are some of these business ways that I want to set myself up to, to be involved? And then going through that process, if I've decided to enter into this name, image, and likeness space and I understand how, then it's a matter of what do I need to learn? What do we need to educate and teach student athletes on the business side of name, image, and likeness so that they can at least know enough to slow things down and not feel like they have to rush into anything and make quick decisions. Because when quick decisions are made, that's when things, um, you know, student athletes can get taken advantage of or things can get sloppy. So I think if I were to, you know, recommend kind of a pathway, that would be the pathway of first having that conversation of understanding if name, image, and likeness, and if so, how, um, and then figuring out what does that look like for me to be involved and engaged? And what do I need to learn in order to do that effectively? I think that's great. I think, you know, as we're sitting here on um, June 21st, Monday morning, uh, I just had a notification come through on my computer that, in fact, the Supreme Court has rejected the NCAA's limits on athlete benefits and compensation, uh, which thereby limits. Uh, it's unlawful for schools to or for, sorry, for the NCAA to limit schools for competing for player talent by offering better benefits to the detriment or sorry, by offering better benefits uh, to athletes. So. It's it's happening. It's going down. Literally, as soon as I get off this, I will be reading a Supreme Court decision. <laughs> so thank you. There you go. Break, thank you for that breaking news. And I look. There we go. Breaking news. You got it here on the Pads 2021 Athlete Development Summit Series <laughs> podcast. Like that's a lot to get out once. But I think one of the cool things is, is we kind of talked about the negatives. We've talked about the pitfalls. From your perspective, what are you seeing as the positives? And you know, from my from my perspective, I'm looking at it from a student athlete perspective. Well, this is going to remove a lot of the breaks in terms of exploring different opportunities with different organizations. Actually, being able to dive into stuff that maybe would have been limited to me, and uh, you know, under the old rubric, you're looking at it obviously from a different lens. What are you seeing in terms of the real benefits for for student athletes and organizations? Yeah, I, th I think you know one of the one of the things that I've been trying to just implore anyone who will listen. So thank you all for listening. Um, is this this idea right that a student athlete, student athletes go to school for different reasons, right? They, everybody has their own personal reason as to why they go on to college, right, and why they're a student athlete, etc. But if we can use name, image, and likeness as the opportunity to teach life skills and to teach things like business and to see student athletes, encourage them, whereas uh, maybe they never wanted to take a business course, but now to say, you know what, I want to take a course on digital storytelling. I want to take a course on entrepreneurial finance or on um, marketing and digital marketing or what have you. What a great opportunity to now make it very real for student athletes. 
um, this education because now they can live it. They can understand business structure and business setup and why why would I set up an LLC to, to protect myself and provide some additional liability protection and understand how a business operates, right? So I think that there's an incredible opportunity, one, for an education perspective that really helps student athletes succeed long after they leave school. But on top of that, too, there is a significant financial opportunity for student athletes to to make money. I mean, that's that I don't think it can be overstated how important that is to so many student athletes and their families. Um, the The concern, right, is that it's it's done in a way that that sets them up for success and is not done to their detriment while they're in school. Um, and so so I think, you know, when we think about the positives here, the positives are that student athletes. I mean, imagine this if if you're if you're a student athlete doing a, an appearance or a speaking engagement, or a camp, or a clinic, or what have you, and you have the opportunity to meet um, business people, um, you know, business owners, business executives, and what have you, because of the the work that you're doing in name, image, and likeness, what a great opportunity for networking, for, um, you know, just building a network to set you up for relationships when you leave school, um, internships, jobs when you graduate, or what have you, right? So I think that all of those benefits exist. Again, that's going to be education as well, right? Educating a student athlete on, hey, when you go to a photo shoot or when you go to this name, image, and likeness event or opportunity, you go to this appearance, whatever, speak to people, meet them. Don't go in thinking like, I'm cool and have this chip on your shoulder that I'm getting paid to come and do this. Go in there, humble, do the work that you're being compensated to do, but then build relationships, get to understand what's going on because there could be a whole career opportunity for you in that work if you recognize and enter name, image, and likeness with that perspective in mind. So I think I think there are some great opportunities from financial opportunities to, to educational opportunities, um, networking opportunities, but, but that's going to have to be taught as well. And student athletes are going to have to be exposed to that idea, that concept, uh, in order to maximize it as well. Well, I think that's the critical, absolutely critical thing. And I think is that if it isn't being taught then we're heading into an absolute cluster of a situation because if the education isn't there or you have organizations that are treating this as a box ticking exercise and not really understanding how they're going to impact those student athletes, we're going to have a real issue. So from your perspective, as you guys are approaching the education angle on this, and that's obviously you sort of talked about the education and the protection, just generally speaking, how is Anomaly approaching educating folks about this? Uh, educating institutions so they're in the best possible position to impact their student athletes. Yeah. So it really is focused on providing real world practical education. So we uh, we actually partnered with a company called Team Ultimus and Courtney Ultimus, their founder, they're out of Philadelphia, um, because we found ourselves presenting at some of the same conferences and being asked to to educate, you know, student athletes on on um, very complimentary topics. And when we started thinking about name, image, and likeness, um, you know, Team Ultimus, Courtney, her focus is on finance, mine obviously on the legal side and, and business. We came up with what we call DDMC. It's a it's a comprehensive uh, curriculum, if you will, that focuses on decision making, due diligence, money, and contracts. Right. And if you think about a student athlete engaging in name, image, and likeness, what do they need? Right. What do they need? So we know that there are plenty of companies out there that are doing. 
uh, athlete branding, right? And educating on how do you get more followers? How do I increase my social media uh, impressions and effectiveness, right? And, and obviously more followers can lead to potentially more money and all that. Totally get that. That's not what we focus on. What we focus on, that's that's the building of the brand. Like to go back to what we were talking about before, what we focus is on the protecting of the brand. And you protect your brand by understanding the business side of this of this name, image, and likeness environment. So decision-making. There are so many decisions that a student athlete's going to have to make when it comes to name, image, and likeness. Do I want to work with this company? Do I want to do this deal? Do I even want to get involved in name, image, and likeness? Um, you know, this, this uh, marketing agent that wants to work with me, like, do I want to work with them? Like understanding just a process for decision-making because with athletes, we oftentimes teach them how to make these split second decisions, but don't help them slow that down and understand what process is occurring and then give them something they can rely on to make their own decisions and have their own decision-making process. So we talk about decision-making when it comes to name, image, and likeness. Then we get into due diligence, right? And analysis, investigation, understanding the people who want to work with you. How do you go through a, di a diligence process to interview them or to understand what it is that they're providing and the work that they're doing and ultimately hold them accountable? Thinking about the companies that want to work with you. Do you want to align as a student athlete your brand to this particular company? And so that, that due diligence process of analyzing the opportunities and the people who are presenting themselves because of the name, image, and likeness is critically important. Then it comes down to money. And we talked about that earlier, right? Understanding the impact of taxes, impact on financial aid, setting up budgets, understanding, you know, taxes, even not just from the perspective that I need to, you know, set aside money for taxes, but thinking about the multi-jurisdictional issues that come from potentially earning money in one state versus another state, right? Versus my home state versus the state that I'm actually, you know, in school in, right? Managing and, uh, and understanding that. Um, but then also understanding just, you know, how do I create a budget? How do I manage expenses? If I'm doing work um, and, and have some expenses related to this name, image, and likeness work, are they, can I deduct those, right, from a business perspective? So the finances is, is so big. And then obviously contracts. And contracts is really where the rubber hits the road. I mean, that is what, a, what an athlete is agreeing to do. And we know so many times where athletes will change their mind because they're young. We were all there. We've done that, right? We've been there. And the idea of helping a student athlete understand what happens if you change your mind and you agree to do eight social media posts, you've done four and you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. What does that mean to be in breach of contract? What implications could that have? What happens if you've hired a marketing agent to, to advise you through this process, you signed on and it's a year long agreement that only allows you to terminate uh, within 30 days of the end of that initial term. And you're a month into it and you're like, I really don't want to work with this person. They don't reflect, you know, my values. I don't, whatever it is, right? So it's understanding those contracts with advisors who want to work with you, but also the contracts for the actual name, image, and likeness opportunities themselves. What rights am I giving up? What do I have to do? What does somebody else have to do in providing services to me? So for us, this education is very much a, um, a comprehensive real world education based on our experiences of seeing this happen. We've already seen this happen at the professional levels where athletes change their mind and the implications that that could have or the challenges with making decisions. We've seen that happen and we know that's coming downstream uh, to student athletes just because this is that same environment. And so when you think about you know, college athletes who transition into the pros as rookies, that's, these are some of the exact same things that they experience, right? Coming into a marketing opportunity for the very first time or coming into hiring professional advisors for the very first time. 
How do you manage that? And so we want to put together that education that can help student athletes using real world experiences. And that's how you engage them, right? You engage them to say, this is, this is what you're about to experience. Let's make it real for you. Let's use, let's hear, we want to hear from you. What are some of the people that have already been reaching out in your DMs, right? We know that's happening. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about how do you turn a DM conversation, a, a texting conversation into an actual contract so that you can hold that person accountable if they don't do what they are, what they are telling you over text that they're going to do for you, right? All of this is making it real in a way that student athletes can consume it, meet them where they're at so that ultimately they can get protected in this name, image, and likeness space. And I think you hit on a bunch of different things that really resonated with me. I think number one, you're obviously talking about the impact you've seen from the professional level. And this really is just professionalizing in a lot of ways, the student athlete experience. This in particular is part of that. The other thing that you said, which I thought was spot on is, and that's one of the reasons why we wanted to talk to you is that you're not viewing this, hey, let's get some more followers. Let's get some cool content out there. Let's Let's do some really fun things that are going to, you know, get your brand out there and, you know, help us help you, et cetera. Really what you're talking about here is the nitty gritty business details that are going to make the difference in terms of how this is really going to impact you both in the short term and the long term. And I think that's one of the things that um, I guess where I'm coming at it from and that I'm concerned for student athletes is you're going to see these student athletes get sort of hung up in, in folks that are selling not the real deal. Like, hey, we're going to increase your social media following. We're going to get your your numbers jacked up on Instagram. And again, that's awesome, but it's not really going to have the impact you want to have over the long run. And you don't know how it's really going to play out behind the scenes based on what you're signing. So I think uh, I, I personally take what you're saying to heart about really understanding the business, doing the due diligence, understanding who owns what and the contract side of this. So I think it's really interesting approach. And I think that's something that probably hasn't been articulated enough is that we really are putting these athletes in a position where they have to understand the business or they're going to get smoked. And I think that's a, that's a really key thing. And, and, and I appreciate you bringing that to, to our attention. Yeah. And, and just, you know, let's, let's bring it together, right? So if you think about it, a lot of times we know the main, the big platforms that are out there today that are helping student athletes with their branding and, 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 and increasing followers and engagement. Um, but we know that there are going to be people who will go to individual athletes directly and say, listen, we can get you more followers, right? I mean, anybody can go out and buy followers, right? I mean, but, but there are going to be individual companies that are going to say, hey, we're going to go get you more followers. And when you think about that, okay, what are you signing for them? What are you signing? Are you giving them rights? I've seen these contracts before. I have seen agreements where people want to take over a student athlete's social media and they're going to increase their following. Well, number one, let's just talk about the fact that not all followers are created equally, right? So brands are smart enough to look at engagement rates, et cetera. So just based on the number of followers isn't just enough. It's whether or not your actual uh, followers are engaging with you. That's number one. But number two, what risk are you exposing yourself to by allowing now someone else to have complete access to your social media? Um, and, And so from that perspective, when you think about They'll have access to your DMs. They'll have access to see what what opportunities are coming to you, all that. These these areas of branding go hand in hand from a contract and overall education and protection perspective, as well as increasing followers. So yeah, not not, not enough of this conversation is happening because I think for a lot of people, it's brand new. For a lot of people, they haven't experienced it. I have a lot of conversations with um, with various uh, athlete development professionals, 
And if you're listening to this, you can think about this yourself because don't worry, we can't see your hand raised. We can't hear what you're saying back to the computer screen. But think about, have you ever seen an individual uh, brand ambassador agreement, an individual marketing agreement, an individual social media development agreement where somebody comes in and says, hey, we're going to run your social media. Most people in position um, of student athlete development have never seen that because that's not been part of your requirements uh, or your work uh, over the you know past years, right? So when you think about that, that's the education that's going to have to come, not just from the student athlete perspective, but for the uh, you know student athlete development professionals uh, development as well. Well, you, you must be reading my mind because what I, as you were talking, um, my brain was just running that you're speaking our language as athlete development specialists. There's opportunity for education. There's opportunity for life lessons, for life skills. And at the end of the day, that is our mission and our purpose working with athletes is to assist them with life skills, transitions. And so as you initially described the networking opportunities, and you're providing these opportunities at a younger age, this is the work that many of these individuals are doing. So to be able to do that, and maybe student athletes will be more receptive because they'll see, oh, there is an end result. There's a gain that I will receive because networking sessions, um, branding sessions have happened for times and often student athletes aren't engaged because they don't understand the purpose. So that's great, but there's the other side of it. And you just said it, the education piece, who is going to educate the athlete development specialist, who's going to educate the student athletes. And that's where I think our concern arises because that layer, those layers of the onions are starting to get peeled and every institution doesn't have the same resources, whether it's manpower or funding to educate their athlete development specialists, their student athlete development and their student athletes. So what can we do collectively, perhaps as an organization to support? Because that is one of my fears. Great that there are life skills opportunities happening, but on the flip side, we don't have all the answers and how can we help to educate and to continue to educate, especially the Ohio states, the Michigan states, the Florida states are not the same as some of the division two and three institutions. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And yet and still their student athletes are going to have opportunities and therefore they need the education. So you're spot on. I think, um, I think there's a lot when we have conversations with schools, we're also talking about, how do we educate not just your student athletes, but your um, athletic administrators, right? Student athlete development, compliance, and others, but then also coaches, because that's another aspect. Because coaches also can be that first layer that a student athlete goes to with questions and say, "How do I, you know, how do I deal with this?" I think collectively to your to your question, there there, you know, we've got to figure out how to get as much education um, out to your members and to 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 people doing this work as possible. Right, because there, it, it it's not all going to be able to be one on one. Right, it's not all going to be able to. To your point, you know, um, they're going. There are schools that aren't created financially equally, and so they're going to have to be able to go somewhere to be able to get this type of education. But just like we're delivering this content today over podcast, there are ways to get information out to folks. And when I when I'm thinking about it, so obviously my my brain is turning in a lot of different ways because. You know, there are a series of common types of contracts that will that student athletes will be faced with. There are a series of, of common experiences financially that student athletes are going to be faced with. 
that all student athletes, regardless of whether they're doing a $100,000 deal because they happen to be that star athlete at a particular school, or you know they're doing a $5,000 deal um, you know, at a smaller school or what have you. The bottom line is that type of education has to come to the professional development folks because you all, you all listening, you are the ones that student athletes go to with questions. You are the ones whose job it is to, to try to help make sure that they're protected, that they're developed. And so there, there has to be this ongoing now, I, I would call it continuing education that, that probably already existed before um, or that did exist before, but just on different topics. So it's now expanding those topics to, um, to include the real world implications of name, image, and likeness. There will be enough people talking about branding and talking about followers and talking about social media um, that I don't think student athlete development professionals will have to worry as much about that. They'll have to worry about, hey, remember when I got that $10,000 check for that thing that I did? Well, I went and did something stupid. I went out and bought this car uh, because I needed a car to get around whatever. And oh, by the way, now I can't afford my rent the next month, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's those kind of things. It's the Oh, whatever the new thing is, right? I've been brought into um, teams to talk to teams uh, before when they've done things like everybody got their stipend and everybody brought those, you know, hoverboards, right? So they could scoot around campus, right? Or whatever that thing is, you know, talk to a, a, a basketball team one time because everybody's buying puppies, right? Like there's always this thing that people are doing because it's the timely whatever. And that's still going to exist. But now student athletes are going to have money to really make some tough choices. So, so this continuing education has to be, it has to get to student athlete development professionals because you all are on the front lines of the day-to-day -day with student athletes. You know what's affecting you, uh, your school, the student athletes at your school. Um, and, and we got to figure that piece out. We absolutely have to figure that out. That's phenomenal. I think the last question I had is, is actually kind of chaining this all together. So you've obviously worked on the professional side. You're, you know, you're doing work on the student athlete side. From your perspective, as you're looking at the implications from this, these cohort or these new student athletes that are coming into these major universities and then making that migra uh, migration in the professional ranks. What are you seeing as the positives or maybe even the negatives of, of the, the professionalization uh, of branding and name, image and likeness being pushed down to the student side? And then what's going to happen with this migration as these guys go pro, these gals go pro? What's, what's your particular take on that? Or, or do you think it matters? Is it going to make a difference? What's your what's your just general perception or or, or taking what's going to happen? Yeah, I, I I think a couple of different things. Taking the front kind of half of your question, I think one of the challenges that that's going to exist too is in and we mentioned it earlier talking about pressure, um, but I think that from a mental health and wellness perspective, there we're going to see a lot more challenge. People are really engaging with student athletes in ways like they never have before, and not all of that's positive. Right. We've seen athletes who have missed foul shots, who have missed a game winning shot, who have done these things, who have received death threats. Right. So when we take that into consideration, I mean, not all social media engagement is positive and good. And so I think we have to figure out how also do we manage the the mental health and wellness of student athletes beyond the the typical pressures like we talked about, but now into this name, image and likeness space. So there, there's that piece um, in terms of the transition, you know, for those. Uh, men and women who are going to, you know, go on to play professionally. What I think is going to be interesting is that they will already have been exposed to the marketplace. So typically what we see is this, this transition of um, a student athlete who goes from college into the pros and, and on a date certain, right, on that date where they sign their, 
standard rep agreement or whatever it is to say, I'm going to play professionally. Now the world is open to them to taking on these deals and opportunities. But the time at which they do that is the time that they are busier than they've ever been before because they've just declared for the draft, right, that they're going to play professionally. And so now they're hiring advisors, you know, their marketing opportunities come in their way. But, oh, guess what? You have to train for the combine, your pro day, your workouts, your interviews, whatever it is, get ready for the draft, then get drafted, end up in a new city potentially that you've never been in before, right, and then get integrated into a team. What we see now is, you know, when name, image, and likeness go into, goes into effect, these elite athletes who will be able to play professionally, they will have had time. Now, for some of them, maybe it's more time, right? You know, for, for women's basketball players being required to play for four years before they go on and enter the draft is much different than a one and done um, on the men's side, right? And so, um, but there's this idea that they can be exposed to uh, the the marketing opportunities much earlier. So there isn't as much of a crunch all at one time. It gives them more time to figure out how they're going to engage. But with that comes pros and cons. I mean, with that is there, there's great opportunities because it can help them slow things down, but it can also be a, a, a negative potential situation if they don't know what they're signing and agreeing to. And somebody locks them in and figures out that they got them to sign an agreement that can carry them over from being a college student athlete into the pros as well. And now that agent or that marketing agent just took, you know, was able to take advantage. And now they're locked in when that player turns professional and, and potentially can make more money. So pros and cons. But I think what it's going to do is um, it's also going to set the market, right? The market is going to see um, that athlete's brand. So the athlete has the opportunity to strengthen their brand, right, while they're still in school or completely obliterate their brand by making poor decisions. And we have seen student athletes make poor decisions and that could happen. And that could create a situation where a brand, when that player goes professionally, brand says, eh, we've seen this, we've seen this show before. Like we don't really want to get involved with that player. That's a great point. And I think it's important to point out that I believe that the, uh, the human brain is not fully developed until you're about 24 or 25 years old. So Everybody's rolling the dice here. <laughs> Indeed. Well, I think, you know what, this has been a phenomenal conversation and I think it really provided a lot to kind of think about. And again, I think what I really take away from this conversation is how critical it is to really look at the business side uh, of this major shift. And I think it's a reminder uh, as we start exploring what this, you know, what the implications are for student athletes, how critical that business piece is. It reminds us uh, again, that same level of importance at the professional level needs to be minded day in, day out. Uh, and I think we're going to be, unfortunately, we're probably going to be reminded on a pretty continual basis uh, as we kind of head into this next phase. But this has been a phenomenal conversation. So with that, uh, I want to thank you, Luke Feldham of our Fed Lamb. My apologies, Luke. I'll oh, make good. sure we edit out. All right, I'm going to try that again, folks. I'd like to thank uh, Luke Fedlam uh, for, from Anomaly Sports Group for participating. I'd like to thank my colleague, uh, Stephanie Thorburn for joining us. And with that, we'll wrap it up. So thanks again. Thank you guys. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. And more importantly, we greatly appreciate your support of PADS. We'd also like to acknowledge the support of our global partners for their ongoing support of all of our initiatives, including the Athlete Development Podcast Series. Again, be sure to be on the lookout for information regarding live Q&A sessions. And we urge you to continue to dive deep into all of the different podcasts that we're bringing to you over the coming weeks. Again, thanks for your interest and for your support of PADS.